Chapter 14 of Short Stories for Colored People Both Old and Young by Silas X. Floyd. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Don't Care Girl About the worst girl in all this world is the girl who doesn't care what people think or say about her conduct, the girl who goes to every hop, to every party, who stays out late at night with the boys, who hangs over the gate and talks to them, and who cuts a number of foolish capers, and then when anyone speaks to her, shoots her head way up in the air and turns up her nose, if she can, and says boldly, Oh, I don't care. Nobody has anything to do with me. She is the worst girl in the world, and she will never come to any good end. Every girl who is a law unto herself in regard to all that she says or does is certain not only to bring upon herself the condemnation of those whose good opinion is worth while to have, but she will most certainly incur the punishment of a just God. And sometimes, I'm sorry to say, I think that when a girl profoundly declares that she doesn't care for the good opinion of others, she does so because she knows that she has already lost all right to that good opinion. It is wrong, boys and girls, to undertake to run roughshod over the so-called prejudices of the public. It is a foolish thing to take delight in trying to shock people by your boisterous and unladylike and unbecoming conduct. Every really wise and nice girl does care a good deal for the good opinion of others, and particularly for the good opinion of persons older than she is. She recognizes the fact that the laws of conventionality and of good society are based upon what is right and what is proper, and that no girl can with propriety set them at naught. Some girls go so far as to say that they don't care what their own fathers and mothers think. The wild girl who says this is setting at defiance not only the human parental law, but also the law of God, which plainly commands children to obey their parents. Haven't you ever seen a don't-care girl? She is nearly always reckless in manner and speech. She is bold and defiant. She is impudent beyond mention, and she is very fond of ridiculing girls who do care a great deal what others think about them. No matter whose children they are, no matter what schools they have attended, these don't-care girls are no good, and good girls ought not to associate with them. Every day such flippant girls are treading on dangerous ground, and some day, unless a merciful God prevents it, she will come to open disgrace and die and go into torment. I am hoping to see the day when all the don't-care girls will have passed out of existence, and then all our girls will be of the refined and womanly kind who do care a great deal about their conduct, their manners, and their morals. I don't want my daughter to associate with any other kind. A PRAYER As the potter molds the clay, slowly, gently, day by day, till at length he brings to pass beauty from a shapeless mass. So, dear Lord, with patient art, take thou now my forward heart, and, O Lord, in love divine, mold and make me wholly thine. Frederick Douglass to Young People Shortly before he died, Frederick Douglass made a tour through the South. Among other places he visited, Atlanta University. At that place he made an address to the young people. It is so full of hope and help that I wanted to place it where every ambitious black boy and girl in America can see it. 
it has never been published before except in the bulletin of atlanta university mr douglas said my young friends i see before me an assemblage of young people full of the blood of youth just entering upon the voyage of life it is an interesting spectacle to me as to us all to meet such an assembly as i see before me this morning in an institution of learning of knowledge and of ethics and of christian graces i experience great pleasure in what i see to-day there is no language to describe my feelings it was no mere image that john saw and described in the apocalypse it was a new heaven and a new earth indeed when i look back upon the time when i was a fugitive slave i recollect the evils and cruelty of slave hunting no mountain was so high no valley was so deep no glen so secluded no place so sacred to liberty that i could put my foot upon it and say i was free but now i am free contrasting my condition then and now the change exceeds what john saw upon the isle of patmos a change vast and wonderful that came by the fulfilling of laws we got freed by laws marvelous in our eyes men brave men good men who had the courage of their convictions were arrested and subjected to persecutions mobs lawlessness violence they had the conviction of truth simple truth lasts forever be not discouraged there is a future for you and a future for me the resistance encountered now predicts hope the negro degraded indolent lazy indifferent to progress is not objectionable to the average public mind only as we rise in the scale of proficiency do we encounter opposition when we see a ship that lies rotting in the harbor it seems yawning its sides broken in taking water and sinking it meets with no opposition but when its sails are spread to the breeze its topsails and its royals flying then there is resistance the resistance is in proportion to its speed in memphis three negro men were lynched not because they were low and degraded but because they knew their business and other men wanted their business i am delighted to see you all don't be despondent don't measure yourselves from the white man's standpoint but measure yourselves by the depths from which you have come i measure from these depths and i see what providence has done daniel webster said in his speech at the dedication of bunker hill monument bunker hill monument is completed there it stands a memorial of the past a monitor of the present a hope of the future it looks speaks acts so this assembly is a monitor of the present a memorial of the past a hope of the future i see boys and girls around me boys you will be men some day girls you will be women some day may you become good men and women intelligent men and women a credit to yourselves and your country i thank you for what i have experienced today and i leave you reluctantly and shall always carry with me the pleasantest impressions of this occasion a good fellow he was a good fellow he spent his money like a prince there was nothing too good for him to do for those whom he kept company he lived rapidly and had no thought of tomorrow he burned the candle of life at both ends 
Today he is dead, and those vampires who sucked his life's blood and helped him to spend his money have no time to give him one thought. Ah, how insincere and empty is the title of good fellow, when it is applied to the man whose money is always on tap for those who are desirous of having a good time. And how corrupt and undesirable are the so-called friendships which spring from a lavish expenditure of money. Boys, the roof over your heads covers the best friend you could possibly have on earth. Those who slap you on the shoulder and say hilariously, good boy, are seldom ever worth their salt. They like you for what they can get out of you. That's all. Real happiness in this world comes, if at all, from living right and doing right. If you are a good fellow in the sense of giving everybody a good time with your hard-earned means, I warn you that, when your money gives out, all your friends will desert you, and when you die they will be the last ones to come near you, and may even laugh at what a fool you made of yourself. THE FUTURE OF THE NEGRO My dear boys and girls, I have written nearly one hundred stories for this book, and I have not said one word about the so-called race problem. I have done this on purpose. I believe that the less you think about the troubles of the race, and the less you talk about them, and the more time you spend in hard and honest work, believing in God and trusting Him for the future, the better it will be for all concerned. I know, of course, that the sufferings which are inflicted upon the colored people in this country are many and grievous. I know that we are discriminated against in many ways, on common carriers, in public resorts, and even in private life. The right to vote is being taken away from us in nearly all the southern states. Lynchings are on the increase. Not only our men but our women also are being burned at the stake. What shall we do? There are those who say that we must strike back, use fire and torch and sword and shotgun ourselves. But I tell you plainly that we cannot afford to do that. The white people have all the courts, all the railroads, all the newspapers, all the telegraph wires, all the arms and ammunition, and double the men that we have. In every race riot the Negro would get the worst of it, finally. But there is a higher reason than that. We cannot afford to do wrong. We cannot afford to lose our decency, our self-respect, our character. No man will ever be the superior of the man he robs. No man will ever be the superior of the man he steals from. I would rather be a victim than a victimizer. I would rather be wrong than to do wrong. And no race is superior to the race it tramples on, robs, maltreats, and murders. In spite of prejudice, in spite of proscription, in spite of nameless insults and injuries, we cannot, as a race, afford to do wrong. But we can afford to be patient. God is not dead. His chariots are not unwheeled. It is ordained of God that races, as well as individuals, shall rise through tribulations. And during this period of stress and strain through which we are passing in this country, I believe that there are unseen forces marshaled in the defenses of our long-suffering and much-oppressed people. They that be with us are more than they that be with them. What should we care, then, though all the lowlands be filled with threats, if the mountains of our hope and courage and patience are filled with horses and chariots of divine rescue? 
The Training of Children My last word shall be to parents. Many parents neglect the training of their children until the boys and girls have grown to be almost men and women, and then they expect all at once to develop them into well-rounded characters, as if by magic. Others fix upon a definite time in life, say, ten or twelve years old, before which time they say it is unnecessary to seek to make lasting impressions upon the minds of children, all unconscious of the fact that the character may have been long before that period biased for good or evil. I say it deliberately. It is a deep and abiding conviction with me that the time to begin to shape the character of children is as soon as they begin to know their own mothers from other mothers, or as soon as they become awake to the events which are taking place around them. The farmer who has the notion that his child can wait does not dare to let his corn and cotton wait. He has observed that there are noxious weeds which spring up side by side with the seed he has planted, and, marvelous to say, the weeds outgrow the plants. They must, therefore, be cut down and kept down, or else they will ruin the crop." Side by side with your tender babe in arms, there are growing now, dear mothers, the poisonous tares. They are rooted already in the child's heart, and, unless they are stricken down pretty soon, they will dominate the child's life. And, of course, there is only one way to destroy evil, that is, to plant good in its stead. If there is one untenanted chamber in your child's heart, inhabit it, I pray you, with nobler and purer thoughts which before long shall bring forth fruit unto God. Satan does not wait, I assure you. He never allows a vacancy to remain unoccupied in anybody's heart, old or young. He rushes into empty hearts and idle lives and souls tears thicker than the strewn leaves of autumn. It is an old and senseless and barbarian custom which has taught us that the child can wait or must wait. If anybody must wait at a table to be served, it is usually the little child, who may be the hungriest of all. If someone must remain away from church or Sunday school, it is often the youngest child, who perhaps needs most to go. If someone must be kept out of the day school, it is the smallest child, of course, and during the year that he remains idle he may receive impressions and learn lessons that will mar his whole future life. Let us have done with this barbaric practice. Make room for the children. Give them not only the first place, but the best place. In almost any city in the South, any Sunday in the year, you will find more children, more boys and girls, outside of the Sunday schools than you will find inside. There is a loud and crying call surrounding from the past and from the future, and bidding mothers and fathers to be more diligent in the matter of having their children embrace opportunities of growth and spiritual culture which are almost within a stone's throw. If mothers and fathers will not hear and obey this clarion call, I believe they will be brought to account for it in the day of judgment. Not only so, but in the years to come, they will be compelled to wail out their sorrow over prodigal sons and daughters, who might have proven to be ornaments to society and to the church if their parents had devoted half the care upon them that they expended upon colts and calves, kittens and puppies that grew up with them. In all earnestness I implore those to whom God has given winsome little children to begin early, 
as early as they find it possible to train their young lives for god and heaven let their little voices learn early to lisp the precious name of jesus and be attuned to sing his praise if you leave them this legacy than which there is none greater there will come peace and joy to your old age and the light of heaven like the golden glow of a radiant sunset will rest on your dying bed and now as i close these stories there comes to me across the intervening space of silence and of tears fond memories of a sweet and patient mother i cannot remember when she began to talk to me of jesus nor read to me the word of god i remember well when she taught me how to read and the old-fashioned blue-back spelling-book is as plainly before me now as in those long-past days. But, long before that, I had heard her read the Bible and raise her voice in prayer for all whom she loved. And today those memories live when a thousand busy scenes of after-life lie dead. And when old age comes on, if God should spare me to be old, the memory of my mother's words and her reverential prayers will be at the brightest of all the joys that shall light up the evening of my life. End of chapter 14 End of short stories for colored people both old and young by Silas X. Floyd